Holly. Hey, Dave. What is going on today on the What Difference Does It Make podcast? I am so ready to laugh and cry and just emote overall. Why is that day different than any other day? I mean, that's that's a typical day for Holly, isn't it? You know what? You're absolutely right. I am. Yeah. I just finished Tom Sharpling's book called It Never Ends, and he did a masterful job with his memoir, and we're very happy to welcome him to the podcast today. Yeah, Tom Sharpling has been doing the best show. That's what he calls it, because it is the best show. Initially, it was on WFMU, and that was in Jersey City for a number of years, a long time, over over a decade, I believe. Now, he's on his own. He's breaking free and doing the best show he can on the he's doing the best show in podcast form now but there's so much more to him and you'll know if you read his memoir there's a lot more to him he's a writer he wrote on monk and was an executive producer for years so there's a he's a multifaceted guy tom sharpling well then let's get into it shall we this is tom sharpling on the what difference does it make podcast hey (laughs) how are you good do you call it a podcast or is it an internet radio show or how do you, how, how would you uh, describe this? I let people call it what they want to call it at this point. It just kind of is, I guess it's an internet radio show that a couple hours later becomes a podcast. So nobody's wrong when they call it a radio show or if they call it a podcast, everybody's right. So you just want to say the best show and then people will know what that is. I let people call it what they want to call it at this point. It just kind of is. I guess it's an internet radio show that a couple hours later becomes a podcast. So nobody's wrong when they call it a radio show or if they call it a podcast, everybody's right. You run it like a radio show. There's no there's no cuts. There's no jumps. You know, you're just uh, no. you just keep it going. You take calls. Absolutely. That's why that's why it's everything and nothing at the same time. It's just kind of who even knows what it is anymore because it's not on a it's not terrestrial radio anymore. So maybe there's no such thing as radio if it's not over the airwaves and it's just a version of a podcast, it's a live podcast. Obviously, your uh, your listeners have followed you. This show, the best show, has been going on initially on uh, on radio station. Where was this radio station? It was on D- WFMU. Is in Jersey City. So it's like a New York, New Jersey station. Yeah, and I was doing that there for 13 years. And then in 2015, I went on my own. So yeah, six years. Yeah. Holly, usually this is where Holly says she has a relative in Jersey City or so. It's <laughs> lots of family, Becky's. But no, I was going to, Dave knows I go for more of the emotional stuff. And I, I appreciated your, your your book. We both really in, enjoyed your book. Oh. Well, thank you. But your description of leaving, yes, and that you can enjoy something that was so, you know, it was obviously, Mm -hmm. you know, deep for you. Mm -hmm. So we enjoyed it. It was a great read, but you've obviously been through some stuff. But specifically about WFMU, I was going to ask you, you talked about how difficult it was to leave in the end, kind of the trials and tribulations with all the the pledge, you know, the pledge drives and all that. Mm -hmm. But then your ultimate decision to leave there seemed like a hard decision. Oh, absolutely. It was very hard because that was where I had done the show for, like I said, for 13 years. And I had done uh, non-best show shows for years before that, which was just basically music DJing. So I just had a huge connection to that place. It's just everything. It was everything to me at one point. 
but then there was just the growth of the show and where I wanted to go with my career and all that stuff. Just the, I reached the crossroads and something had to change. So, but it was not easy. Yeah. I yeah. So how, how would you describe your show? How is it different then from, from FMU to, to what the podcast is? What, what elements are in there now that you never could have done on, on public radio? Oh, um, just joke about things and talk about things that truly just interest me and without giving context necessarily and just assuming that people are on board with it and if they're not then they might have to go catch up on their end it's not not a ton of hand-holding with certain things and everybody seems to get about 80 percent of the references or and then the 20 the everybody has a different 20 percent that eludes them where it's like, I don't know what you're talking about when you talk about that stuff. and it's, But everybody has a different version of, I don't get when you talk about blank. So, yeah, and I think that's maybe something that public radio would not like. <laughs> Just, but they need context. Yeah, con- they seem to like context over there. So, yeah, it's just a, it's a, it's a freedom to literally just go wherever I want with the show. And, you know, and the form can change anything. Yeah, because apparently, like I listened to your last episode and the description of your latest episode, it's like the top 100 songs. Like, oh, okay, let's get into it. We're going to talk about the 100 songs. <laughs> I, um, except for shaving cream and a few listener calls of like some ideas of what should be in there. I don't, did you ever get to, I, no, not really. We really didn't get to it. Three hours of content, Tom, and no, no top 100. The thing is, (laughs) but the thing is that three hours is just one brick is how you need to think of it. We're building pyramids over here. Those shows, I've been doing this for over 20 years now. And it's just like, we'll get to it next week. It just happens. And we go where the show goes. And there was stuff that was funnier to me and I wanted to lean into that stuff because I was having a good time talking about it and it to me it's just that's what's more important than sticking to like a strict schedule with the stuff and maybe I pay a price for that but I'll pay that price makes me want to do the show more probably not with your listeners I would think you wouldn't necessarily pay the price but Dave just happens to like lists (laughs) sure and I like lists too but I don't want to like stop the fun train for the purpose of completing a project in one episode. And I knew this is, this is, that's the, me throwing that out there. That's one, that's a long-term list we're going to build with the audience. That's not a one episode list. Okay. That's good. That's what keeps us coming back. (laughs) That's it. Okay. Go back to, you want to go back to your original question, Dave of Rosalita? What is it? Oh, well, (laughs) That was the other thing in this episode. You've set a, a, a goal of walking, and apparently Rosalita is your song of choice to, to keep you moving. Um, you had a lot of observations about Springsteen and the Rosalita breakdown when he's introducing the band, which I, I thought that was hilarious, of uh, like his, his drawl that he seems to have, uh, have a, a sta- <laughs> he's had since uh, 1975 or whenever. Because I, I have those same bootlegs, and I listen to those all the time. And then when you, when you said... You know, like oh, oh, when you mentioned the draw, like, yeah, you know what? He's right. He does have this thing. It's pretty thick. And it's as somebody who has is from New Jersey and has lived in New Jersey almost my entire life. I've never heard any other human from the state talk like that. But 
he certainly does and it's a it's a funny weird question to see how it got to that point that he talks in such an exaggerated foghorn leghorn voice on stage has he never addressed it since this is this is not the first time it's come up in conversation (laughs) i don't know i wouldn't ask him would you ask him? It's like, hey, why do you talk like that? That's weird. Okay, so that leads me into your Damn well. into oh well, yeah, well, into it never ends. You met, uh, you know, you have your your encounter with someone famous, someone you mm-hmm. admire greatly, and like, all right, I've got my my question I want to ask. You ran into Patty Smith, is this? Uh, and then you have like something you wanted you want to ask her. <laughs> what is the one thing? Yeah. Like, oh my god, I. How do I stand out from the rest of these dweebs that uh, ask yeah. Patty a question? I should have just tried to fit in with the rest of the dweebs, but I became a bigger, I transcended dweebness or whatever with my question where I asked, uh, sharing an elevator with Patty Smith in San Francisco. And I was just like, what, like you said, what can I say to her that will just make me stand out from the pack? And then uh, I remembered a conversation I had with a, a cab driver in Memphis who insisted that the best band he had ever seen live was Humble Pie. And so then I asked Patti Smith, uh, did you ever see Humble Pie back in the day? And then back in the day is a phrase I've never used before or since. And so it felt completely unnatural coming out of my mouth. And is she seemed slightly terrified by the question, and I'm pretty sure she got off on a floor lower than her floor just to get away from me. And I probably she's probably if in the stairwell trying to get back to her room uh, just to get away from the weird guy in the elevator asking about humble pie. So it did not go well. <laughs> I mean, what, I know. I, I have you? Yeah, I got to meet Springsteen. I waited in a long line to uh, for his book signing. Like, okay, this is my one sure. opportunity. And, you had a uh, long time to think about what you were going to say. Yeah, I know. Everyone's like questioning. I, yeah. So I just asked him like, okay, I know he likes Elvis. I'll ask him about Elvis. Uh, and you know, I just said, would you get, would you get in a line like this for Elvis? And he's like, sure. Yeah, I, I would. Mm-hmm. And then they whisked me away. I took my picture and then yes. they took me away. Maybe that's his twang. You know, he's doing his Elvis Memphis twang. Who knows? There's a little bit of that. I'm sure he's got some of his, he's, he's, yeah. Uh, invoking some of his heroes when he when he talks like that and there's a little bit of as one of the producers mike said on the show just that there's a little bit of the preacher him him looking at it in that regard oh yeah the role he's playing so it's it's i'm sure it's a bunch of factors all adding up to a very weird (laughs) way of of speaking have you uh have you watched no nukes yet no, I have it. I didn't get to watch it yet. I was going to watch it over the weekend, but didn't get to it. Got to do that. Yeah, but I bought it. I did. Isn't that <laughs> You know what? It's something? never, it's never going to be, if you don't watch it immediately, it's never going to be watched. It's just, just stacking on top. Oh. oh, oh, I'm watching this. This is, I'm, I'm so ready to watch it. <laughs> oh, what about Get Back? Because that's that was this weekend for me. Like, okay, I got to watch this now. Yeah, I, I was not ready to make the commitment to get back it kind of felt like look i've listened to so many hours of the audio from those things that i have been collecting over the years there was a there was a slight element of uh oh it's saint patrick's day and here come the amateur drinkers out to hit the bars i live here kind of 
like my favorite bar got overrun by uh, rookies and and tourists. And I was just kind of like, eh, this bar will quiet down again. And then I'll, <laughs> then it'll go back to normal. No, I will. I want to watch it. I'm very excited about it. But I've just like spent so, again, I've collected Beatles bootlegs of all the get back sessions. And there's just countless hours of the stuff that I've heard audio on. So it's not exactly uncharted territory for me. But seeing them and hearing the discussions will be new. So. I, I really am looking forward to it, but I also might need to get myself emotionally ready for it as well. Is it really is? I uh, it, it was kind of an emotional journey just to see these four personalities trying to just to get along. Uh, mm-hmm. There's just there's so many kind of surprises, and you you know you could see George just like I've got a lot of material. Like he can't tell Paul, he tells John, I've got a lot mm-hmm. of material that I'd really like to put out. Uh-huh. You know, you, you hear that, and then you you see Ringo working on Octopus's Garden, and you know George comes over to help him work on that. There's just there's there's just so many things that was as a Beatles fan, as a, I'm sure it should be interesting to see how what uh, what your take on it is. Oh, well, I really I can't. I, I'm really excited that it exists, and I'm excited for it. I ultimately probably just need to be to shore myself before I watch it, and that's why I didn't do it. I feel like it'd be reckless if I'm not in the right frame of mind because there's not going to be two of these. It it's like it's not like two uh, next year. There's going to be like, hey, here's eight more hours of this. It's like this is the shot I get at this, and I want to put myself in the right state. I, I get yeah. that. Yeah. Holly gave me the suggestion of like, you know, cause I'm like binging. She's like, just take your time with it. Take your time. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I can't. I, un- I understand both sides of that. That is, <laughs> that is like being in my head, two sides arguing, hurry. No, take your time. Eat all of it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you, you talk about being in the right mindset and I, we've only been through part one, which is two and a half hours. And we took two nights to do it. And mm. the first night it was a little, you know, I must not have been in the right mindset. It was good, but not riveting to me. And then we came mm. back to it and I wanted more. So mindset. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it, it takes a, a second to just kind of get in the framework because it's, it's literally just them in the studio. It, it sets it off day by day, which I, I think was brilliant. You know, like, okay, yeah. they check in the studio. This is what happened on January 3rd. You know, they all come into Twickenham and, you know, do their thing. Yes, Peter once, Jackson's a good storyteller. Yeah, once you get into the pace <laughs> of what this is, it's not, you know, it's the journey. It's like uh, it's like Lord of the Rings. They're on a journey. They're just, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they're looking for, they got to put the ring in Mordor. But, uh, you know, they got, it's, <laughs> but the journey is the fun part, you know. So that, uh, anyway. Remember, the point of a journey is not to arrive. Oh, uh, okay. Who's, who said that? Holly? Did you say that? Is that your? That's a Rush lyric. Oh, is it a Rush? L- <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. All about. <laughs> oh, it goes I'm back to Rush. Rush lyric. <laughs> Tom Sharpling, the best guest from the best show on our best podcast, which is what difference does it make? Because we're so good, we have to take a break. That's what makes us good. Our breaks. So let's do that right now. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. 
Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. And we're back on the What Difference Does It Make podcast and our guest, Tom Sharpling. All right. Talk about the book some more. Did you find that <laughs> process similar to creating a radio show and that's, okay, here's what we, A, B, and C, or was it just, uh, what was your process like for writing this book? Yeah, it kind of was not like anything I've ever done in terms of the commitment that it requires to take all these different stories and parts of my life and kind of find a, an arc and a cons and and present them with like a consistency so that it just it's in a certain voice and and I'm kind of like hosting my own life which is such a very sh strange concept to take stories that happen to you and tell tell them in a certain order but also the presence of mind to know that I need to keep things funny and as honest as I possibly can and dig as much as I can, but also make sure it's not too much of like a pity party thing or that I'm being too flip with parts of my life that might've been more serious than other parts. It really, it's like there were so many balances that I had to strike. It really was more challenging than I thought it was going to be. But it, once I got the rhythm going on it, I at least saw how to do it. I'm in awe of when you write a memoir that you can, choose the most, you know, objectively, or I think objectively, the most, you know, important or the parts of your life that you want to, you know, to highlight, to talk about in depth, because there's got to be so much more, you know, that didn't make the book, stories that didn't make the book. Sure. Figuring out, I guess, what would be like a through line or a storyline, it just, yeah, certain things aren't going to fit. Cause then it just seems like it's just a, a scattershot kind of thing. And I wanted there to be like a larger framework to it rather than just like here are 13 chapters, about 13 different stories that happened. I, I really wanted it to add up to a, a one solid piece of work as well as individual chapters that could stand on their own. Yeah. Did you find that being 
you mentioned honesty. Was that the hardest part to to be as honest as possible and what to reveal about yourself? Yeah, that was, that was definitely one of the hardest parts because there's so much stuff that I was just like getting along perfectly fine, never sharing with anybody. I was doing fine. My life was going on and I never necessarily needed to open some of those doors for any other reason outside of being like, yeah, let's just open these doors and share these truths and things that happened to me because I knew that they were so informative for things as they really went down. And if I was going to kind of not work them in, it would be a little bit of a dodge of the truth and would have kept things much more superficial. I could not have looked back at it and said, it's just like, yeah, no, I, I did it right on here with this. So what I wanted to do, I, as hard as it was, I still wanted to do it right. So that one out. I mean, it's, it seemed like from reading the book that your experience with depression and everything that you had been through with ECT kind of informs everything after that. Oh my God. It forms everything that's ever happened to me has been filtered through that. Yeah. And just to give context, it's just talking about when I was, um, in my late teens, I just had a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of mental stuff for the, for my entire teens culminating in me ending up in a couple hospitals and then getting, having to undergo some, uh, electroconvulsive therapy treatments for a month or so, whatever it was. And just the price that I kind of paid with that and memory loss and kind of work, just putting that stuff out there was everything would have been slightly false just by not, not that I would be telling a lie, but it's like, I'd be guilty by, uh, not sharing things that were very important and very formative. How far of your, how far out of your inner circle did the knowledge of that, of your experience, that experience, did it go? Oh, nowhere. It went nowhere. My family knew about it and yeah, I I think a friend from back then, one of my high school friends knew about it, but it really was, that was a closed circle. I, I told nobody. So, and then I suddenly told everybody and you can buy my story now. <laughs> Apparently it's for sale and I'll never, yeah, I will never have to talk about it again. Yeah. So it's just, it was a, it was a very interesting experience and something I was, that I thought I was more ready for maybe, and was still surprised by what it felt like to have stuff that I never talked about suddenly be common knowledge, but I'm glad I did it. It was definitely the right decision. About your name. I, I love the story about how you took the name. Did a lot of people outside your circle know know where another it came one. from? No. That was another one. Plenty of my people in my life were reading the book and going, oh, okay. I had so many people say to me afterwards, like, yeah, now I get it. <laughs> <laughs> like, now I understand you. Yeah, we would have started talking to you about Hanukkah. <laughs> yeah. No. I would, and I would politely smile and say, my name is Giuliano. Yes, exactly. And say, I honor (laughs) the tradition, the chosen people. I am unfortunately not in the tribe, (laughs) but I will. I'm adjacent. (laughs) Tribe adjacent. Yes, I'm tribe adjacent. Have you encountered another sharpling or something, anything (laughs) similar to like S-H-A-R-P? They're they're out there. Yeah, they're out there. I kind of do have a clear path to it in a lot of ways because 
I made it up. I was not getting rejected by the sign-ins on a lot of things, is all I'll say. Like, like I kind of had a clear path because I was not sharing the name with anybody. Art. And okay. Sharpling one. Didn't have to do Sharpling 99, 99. Well, I have to say, after reading the book, I would never have recalled the name Mel Sharples. Wouldn't have been. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, you'll never forget it. Yeah, it's tattooed on your brain forever. Alice was brought back to the frontal lobe of your head. Okay, so it was part Gary Shandling. And mentioning another celebrity, you had your encounter with Gary Shandling. That was a, a virtual encounter, yeah. Went much worse than the Patti Smith one, at least, because she just decided to avoid me. Abort. Yeah, she just pressed, she pressed the button, abort. <laughs> the ejecto button. <laughs> Eject. Yeah. Yeah, eject. Yeah. No, he did not. He pressed the launch code at me. Now, basically, I was on Twitter. It was like when, when he was alive, when Gary Shandling was alive. And that's somebody who I loved his stuff and you know, Larry Sanders show I loved. And so I, I talked to somebody I knew who wor literally worked with him. And I was like, is this a good question? I'm curious about this. Like, And the question I was putting forth was on the Larry Sanders show, do Artie, who's the producer of the show, played by Rip Torn, be like, and Rip Torn was just always sticking up for larry and fighting for larry and defending larry but i was like do you think that Artie thinks larry is funny though like or is he just a soldier who is serving his commander regardless of whether he thinks the commander is funny or not so and you know this person was like yeah they were like that's a great question because if you watch the show he never laughs at Larry. Artie never laughs at him. He's just there. He's supporting him. He's smiling, pats him on the back, tells him things are great, but he's never actually laughing. So I tweeted that to Gary Shandling and he misconstrued it as me saying he's not funny. Am I putting forth that he's not funny? So he misread the thing and then blasted me back. And I was like, yeah, screw this guy. You know, just like, I'm asking like a legit question here that a super fan would have. And he's got to just fire back like that and whatever. God bless him. Rest in peace. It was definitely on brand for a guy who I know gave a lot of people in my actual life uh, a hard time in a working capacity. Questions are tough on the internet because sometimes you read it in your own voice and, and mm -hmm. unless you're saying it in front and they realize that you're being sincere. I, I, yeah, he just totally mis, misread this. I, I, I get it. I completely get it. But it's just like if there was not also the real life examples of him not being awesome to people I care about, it would probably be a little different. All right. Uh, the things you don't want to know, right? When you're yeah, a fan of something. Exactly. That's exactly it. You just, it's just like, I'd like to just be a fan and just preserve that dynamic. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about things we love, like radio. Um, yeah. <laughs> you changed your name before you came out. You started out in community, uh, what was it? Com community College, the radio station um, there. Did you have that Sharpling there? Did you go by that? Well, I was doing that before any of the radio stuff. That really was like a thing out of high school, honestly. After me getting out of the hospital, I was just like, I'm just doing this so I can at least navigate certain dynamics. And it just was, was liberating because it started as a way to just tape. I was doing it when I was trading audio tapes of live 
performances and stuff with other people. I did it for that reason uh, initially, and then it just started to fit for other things. And I was like, great, I'm going to keep going with this. So it grew out of uh, a very small, simple need, which was to differentiate my mail from my father's mail. So you were so you were just a, you were under age, like 16, 17. When did this? Like 17. Yeah. OK. Mm-hmm. Are you officially a sharpling? Is that uh, yeah. OK? That's uh, what, no, 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 on your driver's no, no, no. license, it says sharpling. It does not. Ah, okay. <laughs> what was the, your first radio station that you listened to that where you you fell in love? Like, oh, this is someone I, I can relate to this. This is something I want to do. I mean, the first stuff I fell in love with was just like top 40 radio in uh, New York, where it would be WABC or WNBC were both top 40 stations and they just played stuff I loved and it was exciting to understand the concept of DJs like kind of hosting the presentation of music you like and then I guess I found my way over to uh for WNBC it would have been Don Imus was the morning guy on the station and then I started hearing that and being like oh here's somebody doing something completely different than just playing records with their radio show and they're doing comedy and taking calls if you listen back to it now that's like it's unlistenable but it just still at that point as a little kid it was just like oh this is unbelievable that you can interpret this form however you want and that just that started it i loved your description of getting behind the mic for the first time and saying this is where i was meant to be that was the part I felt writing that I was just like is so corny in a way in terms of just feels like it's like it's like movie writing or something but it was very true also it was just it was it was true I was never somebody who wanted to perform in front of people I was that that never spoke to me but then figuring this thing out that it was a way to do it that fit my temperament I was like oh this is amazing and it's also very liberating to not be seen and just to build the thing with just audio. It was just, it was everything I wanted. Well, as a reader, it didn't sound cliche. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. So you went all out at FMU. You went like during these pledge drives. This is where, this is where your greatest stress was. But uh, apparently you, you must have loved this. You must have hated it and loved it. It's, it sounded like through reading the book. Like Ab- Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I'm creating something amazing, and yet it's a huge amount of stress. What were these elements that you put in? Can you kind of describe what a Pledge Drive show was like? Sure. Well, the shows would be basically, your for your time slot, you would not do a normal show during the two weeks of the fundraising marathon, and you would have a co-host, and you'd talk about what's great about the station and, and try to just get pledges from the listeners and they'd call up and there'd be a phone bank. You'd have volunteers in the room writing down the info, which then kind of grew into people doing it online, obviously. So usually people would do that. You'd show up, play some records, talk about the station, give the give the number out, give some CDs and LPs out to for drawings peppered throughout the shows and... That would be what a normal show was. But then I naturally, with my inability to just not go all the way with a thing, I... That's I, the direct route. Let's go uh, <laughs> let's circle around. In, yeah. Oh, my God. No, it turned into like a full production. I would have guests, comedians, musicians, all sorts of surprises. we just get everything we could to happen in it to make it just kind of this must-hear show. 
And that was just the culmination of what the show normally was. I was doing that for every episode. And, but then the fundraising things got to a new level. Cause then you try to give like the equivalent, like usually it's like, Oh, here's a tote bag or here's a thing like that, that they give out during fundraisers on stations. But I would then go all the way out. I would do magazine would make records, flexi discs, DVDs, every thing you could do i would try to come up with things that i would make people be like oh i have to own that and that would kind of spike the pledging also it was a lot and it turned into basically a job then and and it since it's a non-commercial station i wasn't getting paid i agreed to the terms of that when i signed up with it it's not like i was saying like hey start paying me now it's like i would never have wanted that because that would have changed the relationship of the thing. So, but I kind of also, I think I had to move on was the way to change the relationship because I wouldn't have wanted the station to change their structure, but I needed something different. So. Okay. You mentioned magazine, your beginnings, your, your fanzine, Mm -hmm. your 18 wheeler. 18 wheeler was the fanzine. Yes. The whole idea, I mean, I remember fanzines from when I was, you know, when I was young, the whole idea that you made this, you distributed it. And I pictured people at the time, you know, going to deliver it to all the record stores and all the places. That's what you did. All this for your love of the music of the indie, the indie scene. Absolutely. No, it was a, it was a good way to kind of utilize my skill sets, which would be, I liked writing and I loved music and I loved comedy so I could fit it all into this one place so I started a fanzine and could review records and could review them could be funny reviewing certain ones and could be could really hype music I really loved and could also just really not be nice to things I didn't like but do it in a way that hopefully was funny I was trying to be funny the whole time I'm sure I came up short but I was trying (laughs) but it was just like a good place to do it and it was a good way to just get involved in the music scene because then you start interviewing bands for the magazine and then you meet people through the interviews and it just it just was a great kind of entry point yeah i think for a music lover i mean that's a great you could have had a whole publishing empire what could have been could could have been bob gucci bob gucci only jr (laughs) i could have been just like bob gucci only jr (laughs) challenging no he axel rose challenged him to a fight and then Bob Guccione Jr. is like, yeah, let's do it. And then Axl Rose is just like, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> like, he's like, well, you challenged me. You started this. Yeah. My money was on Bob. That's the ultimate in cowardice. When you say to somebody, get in the ring, I want to fight you. And then they go, okay, let's fight. And then you go, I don't want to fight. Because you want to too badly. But apparently some people wanted to fight you from uh, 18-wheeler. Some people weren't too happy with, with some writing. Yeah, I mean, look, I gave bad reviews and I tried to be funny. I'm sure I was too much of like a wise ass with it. And um, that's growing pains, but I still don't like that that's a part of things. So, I mean, I'm, I regret having more of an edge to things. It's not like I was being, I wasn't like destroying people's, like I wasn't destroying them on a personal level. So I was just like, I think this band sucks. But it's still just like, I'd rather focus on positive stuff in that regard than negative stuff. It just has served me better to just talk about the stuff I like and the stuff I love rather than to focus on the negative stuff, which look, of course, there's going to be negative stuff. You can always, that's got to be a part of everything. But then there's that point when you realize maybe you're seeking out 
the negative stuff just so you can trash it. Well, then I've lost the purpose to any of this stuff. Now I'm just like a hate listener or a hate watcher. That stuff is has its place. It's fun to watch a lousy movie and make fun of it every once in a while. But if that's all you do and you don't watch good movies because all you do is watch terrible ones, then you're going down the wrong road. Yeah, but alternately, people are going to say he likes everything. <laughs> Yeah, well, look, I've that was hardly ever a risk with me. I don't think anybody was just like, oh, he just likes everything. I'm pretty sure I was giving off some serious vibes that say he doesn't like everything. Even in my most positive, be like, he doesn't like everything, but he likes this, so that means it must be good. It makes you legit. Well, now on <laughs> yeah. the on the internet, now everything is positive and wonderful, mm-hmm. so we don't need to worry about negative reviews. Anymore. It is. What internet are you on? Sarcasm. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm on the one where everything sucks. I want to go on your internet. <laughs> Give me the the link, Dave. Yeah, right. Um, I did enjoy how you ended the book. I mean, or just that the, you had a positive spin at the end. You know. Um, You're just like, when your life ends, it ends. So take advantage of whatever your life is while you still got it. You know, that's kind of what you've, your motto on your show and everything. I try, you know, and it's like you spend a lot of time and things. Sometimes you focus on the wrong stuff or you don't allow yourself to do what you want to do because like, there's always like the invisible, like they don't want you to do this or they don't think you can or should. But then you realize it's like so much of the time there is no they. It's just you're 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 making up the they. They're not there's nobody actively plotting out why you shouldn't do a thing. It's like people are thinking about themselves. They're not thinking about I don't even mean it in a selfish way. People aren't thinking about everybody the way they think about themselves. So nobody's rooting against you. Odds are and if there is somebody rooting against you, that's you can count them on one hand probably. So yeah, and I've I've let myself not do what I wanted because of other people, and it's just I, I re- I'm saying it to myself as much as anybody. It's it's something that's important to me to get everything out of life while I still got it. By the way, I didn't mean to give a spoiler alert. That's the last sentence in, in the <laughs> yeah, book. No. Yeah, no, it's spoiler alert. He's still alive and. It's just, he did not die at the end of It Never Ends. You didn't talk at all about pinball and arcades and the meaning and and to you. Yeah. Oh, that was just the arcades. So you did have a favorite pinball machine. Touch on uh, a little bit about uh, that. Oh, I end up getting drawn to one pinball machine at a time. I feel like I'm very, I guess, I'm a serial monogamist with pinball machines where it's just like, we're I'm in a relationship with this pinball machine and then just one day it's like mm, I don't know if I'm seeing I think I think we lost the magic gold strike gold strike was that so mm-hmm. yeah so gold strike's one that I got obsessed with that was at an arcade on the in Asbury Park speaking of Bruce Springsteen that um was this arcade would record the high scores and I was I had gotten the high score on it and then I came back a couple weeks later and realized there was a new high score on it that nobody humanly could have ever set. Because it's one of these old machines that you hit a target and you get like five points for it. So it just was like, nobody could have done this. It would have taken hours to have done that. So then I was like, well, I guess I'm going to try to beat this score that I don't believe anybody ever actually set. Because the way it would work is not to get too inside pinball, but it's like, 
the counters are manual and they roll over. So if you break a hundred thousand, it just goes to zero again. And you have to keep track in your head that you rolled it over once and you can add a hundred thousand to that. And this person had written down that they had gotten 400,000 plus, And I was like, there's no way anybody rolled this thing over four times. They must've miscalculated. But then I was just like, I'm going to still try to do it. And I challenge accepted irrational, pointless challenge accepted a little into your mind right there. Yeah. Yo, that's please. That's the, this, the, my book is basically just a manual on my own head. Ultimately that if anybody wants to destroy me or manipulate me, I've basically handed you the playbook to it. No, it's real. And then I just set out and for months kept playing this one machine. And then finally one day, broke the impossible score and i did it then i retired how how many hours was that oh I was, that one day the game went forever it was just endless i could not believe that i had finally like gotten in the pocket with this thing to the degree that i was actually gonna pull it off and i did and then now it happened i guess i don't know it's not like all the streamers fell from the ceiling and they didn't bring out a giant check or anything like when you usually win a thing or a trophy, it was just, I did it. And then I'm in this arcade by myself. And I've just said to the owner, like, yeah, hey, I got a new high score on Gold Strike. It goes, okay. <laughs> See, that just pissed me off. That that really pissed me off that you could have just said anything. You could have said that, you know, right oh, after he, the, this, you know, the other person. They don't verify the things. He doesn't care. The owner he just gets a little dry erase marker out and writes a new score on the laminate things. What's your name? Yeah, Tom. Okay, Tom. There you go. Congratulations. He didn't even say, okay, congratulations. I'm filling in blanks that <laughs> didn't even happen. Need to be authentic. That's it. He's always real. Look at me, right? Look at it. Always. Can't get any more real than that. That's going to be the testimonial on the cover. Authentic. Authentic. Great. Who wouldn't buy that book? The sequel. We got a title for your sequel. So authentic i guess it would have to be it still never ends <laughs> trademark there you go it still hasn't ended would have to be the sequel oh yeah <laughs> and then i'll just have a book ready for when i croak that'll just be called it ended it oh <laughs> the posthumous release it ended do not release until exp expiration date <laughs> thank you so much yeah appreciate the time and uh yeah it's Thanks, a lot of time. take care take care okay. bye, -bye. Uh, all right, another stellar episode, Holly, don't you think? Oh, I definitely think so. And if you would like more and some outtakes of our interview with Tom Sharpling, check us out on our YouTube channel. Just look for What Difference Does It Make? And we'll have plenty there, plenty of outtakes. I thoroughly enjoyed reading all about Tom and uh, his journey. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Me too. And, and uh, it left me wanting more. Well, I, I think he will have more. If you want more... You've got the, the best show on Tom Sharpling, which you could hear on your favorite podcast network. You could hear us. What difference does it make on your favorite podcast network? So please subscribe, like, collect. I don't know what the wording is, but, you know, we're, we have a new show every Friday. So check it out. Come back and see us. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what is it? Y'all come back now. You hear? Yeah. All right, Cal Worthington. Thank you. Happy holidays, Holly, as we head right into it got a couple stellar holiday episodes holiday classics we like to call them so enjoy those in the next couple weeks but uh, we'll be back very soon so until then this is dave this is holly check you later over and out
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 